Loose ball. Ewing goes up. The basket counts. He gets it over to the doctor. Tie ball game. Here's a shot, Julius. He, he scores! He scores! Anthony for three. Bang! That one goes down, and the game is tied. Here is Durant moving on Tucker. He turns. He shoots. Yes! Talking Knicks, Nets, and all things across the association, this is Pick and Pod on WFUV Sports. Hello and welcome back to another edition of Pick and Pod, WFUV Sports NBA podcast. I'm Kelly Bright, your host, alongside my two co-hosts who have become, we've become a dynamic trio. What I don't know what the word is, a big three. We'll call it a big three since that's NBA's favorite term. We've become a big three for the show. And today on a podcast that's very audio-based, we decided to mix it up visually for all the people who watch us on YouTube, if anyone watches us on YouTube. And today is, I guess, I would say funny hat day, but I don't know if it's funny hat day. We all just happen to have Fordham hats on. We have Ayella with the backwards hat. Quiggs has got the classic front. And of course, I had to be a little different, mix it up since I am the A host of the show and wear a bucket hat. So I guess, you know, it is the NBA Finals. We're, we're coming down. This could, may or may not be the last episode we have before we know who the NBA champion for the 2020-2021 season is. So let's look at the series as it is right now. Thank God it's not a runaway. The Bucks won their first NBA Finals home game in 40 40- seven years they brought the series to two and one phoenix still leads had phoenix won game three they would have put it put themselves in position to sweep the bucks and that is not good for anybody except for them it's really boring for nba fans and it would suck for everyone on milwaukee especially Giannis, who had an amazing game in game three he was a large part of the reason they won 120 to 100 his 41 points 13 rebounds and six assists put him in pretty special territory. He became the second player in NBA Finals history to total 40-plus points and 10-plus rebounds in consecutive games. Shaq was the last person to do it in 2000. So first I'm going to tip my hat to him, and then I'm going to pass it off after, after that terrible one to Thomas Aiello. And, and Thomas, talk a little bit about Giannis and his breakout games and how he's been able to play so well for the Bucks and what he's meant to this team. I think, I think Giannis definitely took game two to heart. Not that it was totally his fault because we know that his supporting cast uh, is capable of selling at times when they don't feel like showing up. We know that Chris Middleton, the helter skelter man that he is, as I like to call him, he has a history of disappearing in big games. Drew Holiday, who hasn't been in the playoffs in what seems like a thousand years at this point. This is the first time he's been back. And, I mean, he's been playing pretty well. And Giannis got on his teammates. You guys remember in game two when he was, I guess, throwing a temper tantrum is the word I'm looking for. He was a little bit more adroit than I would say other people would be. He was a little bit more calm, but he was definitely upset. You can see that in his eyes and the way his body language was in game two. But here he comes in game three. They're home in Milwaukee. You've got a house with David Bakhtiari in it, the Green Bay Packers chugging beers. Shout out to my favorite team in the NFL. And then you've got the Bucks, who are just, we got nothing to lose here in game three at home. And Giannis goes off for 41 and 13. And like you said, Kelly, the first time back to back 40 and 10 games since Shaquille O'Neal did it 
And we all know that Shaq is capable of just, he was destructive. And Giannis was destructive in game three, especially in the paint for the Suns, who had no real answer, to be honest. And Giannis, with the 16 points in the third quarter, warrants DeAndre Ayton playing all but five minutes for their second half. And while people were saying Ayton was very good in the first half, I mean, he certainly was. He finished with 18 and nine. But in the second, second half, man, when you only score two points and you're benched for the rest of the game, that, that's, that's really sad to me. But Giannis just showing us why. He's a former repeat MVP, a defensive player of the year as well. He just, just annihilated the Suns, who had a very rare off game. It was very out of character for them. Yeah, Thomas, you mentioned uh, Aiton and his lack of playing, and I wanted to talk about that, so you just gave me the easiest transition in history. You, know, you mentioned 18 points, and he was pretty quiet and missing in that second half, and a big reason for that were his fouls. And I think this is one of the biggest examples we've seen of, first of all, Budenhauser making adjustments and telling his team to attack Aiden, you know, attack him, get into, you know, I know Giannis hasn't been the best free throw shooter, but he shot 17 free throws in game three. The Sun had 16 total as a team. Giannis had 17 by himself. He made 13 of those, which is better than he has been shooting. So we'll take that. But uh, I'll go to you quickly. What, what does Aiden need to do to adjust and maybe stay out of foul trouble? Because, you know, he had four fouls in the third quarter and, and then, you know, he, Monty Williams didn't really have much of a choice but to sit him. And maybe people argue that you could have played him longer. You know, he never actually fouled out. He just stopped playing towards the end of the game. But what kind of adjustments does Aiden, who I think has been a huge X factor throughout the Suns postseason run, um, does he need to make to be able to stay in the game longer and not get targeted by some of the big guys like Giannis for the Bucks? Well, it's definitely something that's easier said than done to stay away from foul trouble, especially – against a guy like Giannis, who's just, you know, when he's doing it right, when he's using his abilities to um, just drive in the paint, play bully ball, and absolutely dominate like he has the past two games, um, it's definitely easier said than done for DeAndre Ayton to stay out of foul trouble, uh, especially when it's your first time in the finals, you're a young player, definitely a lot, a lot of emotions going on, uh, especially when you finally hit your in game three the uh the first real trouble that they've had in this finals so far so um i'm not really sure how you can it's a, it's it's a very difficult thing to do especially against Giannis or even you know they have a, a bunch of si a ton of size on that team you know with brooke lopez as well uh it's it's very difficult uh just just to stop these guys in any way possible especially without fouling. So, I mean, that's going to be one of the biggest keys for Monty Williams uh, to, to draw something up that, you know, helps a young player like Aiden, uh, maybe control the emotion a little bit more, maybe somehow just be able to use his arms and, and get Giannis to maybe think about passing a lot more than just driving. Um, and, you know, if Aiden can do that, it will change – everything about this game. I know that obviously Devin Booker struggled in, in last game um, and Aiton was, you know, out for a while because he got into foul trouble. But, you know, when Aiton's on the court, you have so much more to work with if you're the Suns offense because it's not just him being, you know, a monster in the paint like he is and all, and all the rebounds that he gets and the ability to get second chance uh, opportunities, which they had none, basically none of in game three. 
Um, but he also just spreads out the offense a lot more because when he's inside, the defense kind of collapses. So it opens up the opportunity for the wing players uh, in the corner to be able to get open and shoot up more threes uh, or just any jump shots inside the three-point line that, you know, aren't necessarily um, as open when he's not on the floor and he's not as much of a threat um, for the defense. So getting him into, uh, you know, the, the, the stay away from getting a little bit too physical in the first half is so important, even if it, if it means that the Suns have to go into the half with, you know, a deficit. Because obviously we've seen them overcome a, a few deficits, especially already in these finals uh, early um, in the games, especially also in the Western Conference uh, finals against the Clippers. They had a few early first half leads that they, uh, that they were able to, you know, drizzle away or diminish in the second half because they're such a strong offense when they have Aiton on the court and he's not, you know, worried about what he can, like how he can use his body because he's not intelligible. So if there's something that he can do to stop from getting a little bit too much, too physical, then, you know, that's going to open up so many opportunities, both offensively and defensively for the Suns. Yeah, but here's the thing about the Suns is that they need more than just Aiton to stay afloat. And, we, you know, we talked about how Aiton's an X factor, but there's two other guys in this team who I think are extremely important. And Chris Paul was steady. He got his 19 points, nine assists for the Suns. But Devin Booker capsized. <laughs> that was really bad. I'm going to stop. Oh, no. <laughs> but let's talk about Devin Booker because he was three for 14 on the night, one for seven on three-pointers. He finished the game playing just 29 minutes, had 10 points, three, and these were all career playoff lows for him, which, to be fair, he's only 24. You know, he hasn't been to the postseason in his first five seasons, so that, that's, not, that's maybe not saying much. And he also, let's, let's not forget, he has a broken nose, so he's not playing at 100%. But Thomas Ayo, how worried should we be about Devin Booker's night? Is this something he's going to bounce back from easily? I'm looking around. Can anyone find Devin Booker from last night? I can't, I can't find him. He was non Okay, he was non-existent. This is going to happen to a young player who's in the NBA. NBA Finals, let's not forget that. The key word here is the NBA Finals. His first time there. You got to imagine. Now, he was really good in games one and two, but an away game in the NBA Finals for a young player, it, that's just, just disaster all in one uh, soup there. It's just everything waiting to happen. All hell would break loose. And then we saw it happen. Devin Booker broke pretty much. I mean, it broke a nose, but it just progressed to mentally broken. And he bent, got benched the fourth quarter with Aiton, who those two were kind of sitting there just like, yeah, what happened today? They were kind of sitting on the end of the bench, like going, what happened? So you need to un- we need to wonder a little bit about what the game plan was for Monty Williams, because he usually – this year at least, has shown the ability to come up with a cohesive, clear, detailed, and close to perfect game plan that gets executed pretty much every night. And game three, the Suns came out. They were good in the first quarter. They outscored the Bucks 38-35. And then the rest of the way, they just get absolutely steamrolled by the Milwaukee Bucks. So it could be a combination of Coach Bud catching on to the Suns post up Aiton and kick out to the shooters with pick and roll with Chris Paul offense, or it could have just been a dud game. 
which like I said earlier in earlier episodes, the Suns very rarely will have. And tonight was one of those nights. They're going to look very human. That, that's just, it just happens in the NBA. So all in all, Devin Booker was gone in game three. He, he was probably, he thought he was at Lambeau Field. He was at the Pfizer Forum, okay? He saw David Bakhtiar in the sides. Like, I want to chug beers after the game. And it just got into his head thinking he was going to win. But I am confident enough that they will bounce back in game four. And I'm confident enough that the Suns, with Chris Paul, who's going to play better in game four, will take game four. They're going to steal one in Milwaukee. I guarantee you they're going to steal game four. Thomas Ayala with the early predictions. I haven't even asked you guys predictions. <laughs> Thomas is already out here with his button, putting it down. Mark it down. <laughs> no, mark it down. I need a button. <laughs> we got, we're going to get you. We're going to get you one for the next episode. We have to. But, you know, we've, we talked a lot about stars, and I, I want to talk about role players because we, we talk about them on every show. And first, I'll give some shout-outs. Campaign, he had seven points, four rebounds, four assists. Frank Kaminsky had six points for Phoenix. Cam Johnson had probably the play of the game with that, with that ridiculous poster. He also had 10 points, especially he, he went off in the third quarter, got them to within four. But you know it's me. And I got about, when I talk about the Bucks and I talk about the I think you guys both know who I have to give a shout out to. And that is my guy, the legend of Arkansas, Mr. Bobby, let's go, Portis. With, I mean, I know you heard it on TV. I know you could hear it. I could hear it from New Jersey. I could hear it all the way in Milwaukee. The fans chanting, Bobby, Bobby. And all I'd like to say is that I have been saying Bobby's Portis name since like the second episode of this season. He wasn't even playing. I don't even think he got into a game when I talked about him. And now he comes out 11 points, eight rebounds, finishes a plus 19 behind only Giannis and Drew Holiday in 18 key minutes. And he played, he played amazing. I mean, I, for, for a role player, he played amazing. And I think his energy is exactly what this team needs to be able to come back in games against a team that, in my opinion, uh, in Phoenix is more talented than them. And I, I think just the way that um, beyond, beyond just Portis, I mean, Connaughton had eight points, just the way that some of these, these lesser known guys on the Bucks team have stepped up. And I think we've kind of talked about how, the Suns are a little bit deeper than the Bucks, but I think this game was a great example of how, of how when you trust in those role players to step up and when they actually do step up, that can really help your team. So Thomas, I'll, I'll go to you. What do you have? What are your thoughts? Maybe you don't have to go in as much detail as Bobby Portis as I do, but I guess in, uh, in role playing as a whole, as you saw in game three. Well, I, I am the connoisseur of role players. As you guys know, my favorite role players are Mikael Bridges Jay Crowder and Avery Bradley, for reasons only known to me. Those are my favorite role players. And Bobby Portis, he's pitching in the All-Star game at the time of this recording, but is he not the Max Scherzer of the NBA with the crazy eyes? Is, he not, is that not him? Uh, no, seriously, like, is it not him? I think it's funny. He's hilarious. As the, the Nick fan that I am, and the one-time Nick, that one game he had against his former team, the Chicago Bulls, <laughs> it was like the most random game like anyone could ever have for a guy of his talent level. Oh, coming back to this Bucks team, he's been good for them. Like he was a really good pickup. He signed for what, like $2 pretty much. And he's been a great bench piece for Mike Budenholzer. They replenished that bench, which they needed to do. Bobby Portis was available. They picked him up for almost nothing. And he's been great. He was great in that game six versus the Hawks. 
when they got out to that crazy like 20 to 3 lead and Portis had the dunk and two threes and everyone was going crazy. So having a guy like that in the NBA Finals, it's so imperative, especially for a team like the Bucks that is known to kind of dig themselves into the hole very early on. So having an energy guy like that is a humongous plus. Now, I want to kind of go back to what you said earlier, Kelly. You said the Suns are the more talented team. I, I, Milwaukee's just better. I think they're a lot better of a team, more talented. Giannis alone is the best player. Giannis is the best player in this series. Yeah, he's the best player. Drew Holiday is a proven commodity. Helter Skelter, Chris Middleton, although I make fun of him, he is a very good player. He's a two-time All-Star. And you also have Brooke Lopez, who's the greatest net of all time, apparently. And he's their all-time leading scorer, which is funny. But they're, I think they're a better team, but Phoenix is the more well-coached and hardworking team. I think that's where the parallels, I guess, unite, and then they also separate at the same time. I don't know if that made any sense to you guys, but that's how I kind of see it. But again, Bobby Portis, the crazy eyes, man. He's so funny. I love him. He's funny. I wish we kept him. I wish my team kept him. What to happen. You had a $15 million team option. You, did, you know, they, they, yeah. they could have had him. We're going to trade for Sexton anyway. Who cares? I saw that today. Yeah, interesting move. I, I can't wait to – Thomas Ayo, I cannot wait to talk about trade deadline stuff with you when this, when this is all over. But quickly, let, let's stay in the moment now. And, and I think – Thomas, that's a good point. And I think – I do think that Monty Williams, I think most people would agree that he is the better coach in this series. And – Going off of that quickly, what kind of adjustments are the Suns going to need to make going into game four? Bouncing back, we saw, you know, we saw Giannis score 40 twice now. How do you change that? How do you not let that happen? And if, if you decide that you're going to let Giannis go off, you, you definitely can't let Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday also go off. Bobby Portis can't go off. You know, you, you need to find, you need to pick something and, and find a way to limit the other team's strength. So, what is that something? What do what does Monty Williams need to have his team do and adjust so that they can prevent this for series from becoming tied? Well, there's one thing that they can't do, and it's that they can't not have DeAndre Ayton on the court and and, and still keep Giannis under forty because that's just not going to happen. Everything you saw Frank Kaminsky out there, like yeah, he scored six points, but. He was really just a waste of space on defense when it came to stopping Giannis because, you know, he's these MVP back-to-back years for good reason. He's an elite scorer, and there's very few people in the league who can guard him, probably no one can straight up guard him um, when it came down to it. So, you know, it's tough uh, from the coaching side of the Suns to stop that because you know that you can't. But if you have – DeAndre Ayton out there, you have a chance to maybe stop Giannis. And when we've seen Giannis go off in these, like, 40-point games in the past two games that we've seen, um, he has two co-pilots there in the Milwaukee Big Three, as people like to call it. I don't necessarily call it that. Um, But Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, I guess Drew Holiday scored 21 points the last game. But when Giannis goes off, they're never scoring in the double – they're never getting – 20 plus and I mean obviously that makes sense because you you're gonna let your you're gonna let Giannis cook when he's cooking but 
I don't know if they can necessarily pick up the slack if somehow the Suns were able to stop Giannis. So, you know, you if you can somehow double-team Giannis enough to the point where Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, all right, maybe they take, throw up a few more shots. Chris Middleton, I trust a little bit more than Drew Holiday these days because he's just, other than, you know, game three, he's just – been really really shaky from the field uh in these playoffs so there's very little you can do you know from the honest perspective but if there's anything that you can do I think you focus all of your defense on Giannis because the other two guys just are not nearly as I just don't I would not trust them with my life or <laughs> really anybody else's lives right now because they are just not really living up to their expectations. And, and we go back to like, you guys said, or I, don't, I forget now who agreed with who, but the Suns being the more talented team though. No. Okay, so Ayala, you said that the Bucks are more talented. I think on paper, the Bucks are more talented, but from what we've seen in the playoffs from Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, I don't know if that's true anymore, just because of how they've played. I mean, on paper, yes, these, these three players uh, are phenomenal and they should be, you know, a lot better than they are. And this is excluding Giannis, of course, because he's playing out of his mind. Um, but, you know, Chris Middleton, True Holiday, they're so shaky and they're so inconsistent, or at least have been this playoffs, that, you know, it's really hard for me to see them really going off in the absence of, you know, a, a monumental game from Giannis. So unless Giannis is putting up another 40 points, I don't see the Bucks winning this game. Game four, that is. Um, and I also want to go back to the Suns. With Devin Booker, I don't think that he's going to have another 10-point performance. But 4-13 wait, was he 4-13 or 3-14? I think it was 3-14. 3-14. All right. Oh, so bad. Not, not the Devin Booker that we're used to. Uh, and I think that we have to really, really, really hold off the Kobe comparisons as long as – any one of these playoff performances exists on paper because, all right, Kobe, maybe when he was young against the Pacers in 2000, I think he put up like a four for 20 stat line in, in 40 minutes, which is, you know, not what you want in your first, you know, it's not, it's not Kobe-esque. And I guess this wasn't Devin Booker-esque, but Booker's two years older than he was at the time. I don't know. I don't think he's Kobe yet, but I also think he's going to bounce back. And that's, you know, something that, is really, really going to work in the Suns' favor. If they have Booker, they got Aiton, maybe focus a little bit less on, you know, touching the other team. <laughs> and maybe, just maybe, the Suns can take game four, go back home with a 3-1 lead. I don't know if I'm going to pick the Suns yet. I know I'm already – we've both jumped ahead of the predictions before we were supposed to predict. But um, I really I really like the Bucks in this game because I, I, I think that the Suns – are going to struggle with, you know, the defense against Giannis. I just don't think they can stop him, at home at least. Now, if, if we go back to Phoenix, the, foul, the free throw shooting is so important because if he can't hit free throws, it's just such a big difference. I mean, obviously, you're not a 20-point game, but when you're in Phoenix, you Giannis not being able to hit free throws because everyone in the stadium is counting to 15 before <laughs> seconds pass, it's a tough it's a tough place to win yeah I, I agree I think they need to win this next game and they need to win it at home or else they're gonna they're gonna be in trouble if they have to go back to Phoenix down 3-1 like that but 
you heard Quigley's sort of prediction. I mean, you, you don't think the Suns are going to stop Giannis, but we'll see. Ayolo, I remember you were very adamant Suns in six last time we talked, but how are you feeling about game four? And then if you want to stick with that Suns in six, go for it. If you want to change that opinion, I'll give you, a ch give you the chance to do that now. I, I'm sticking with it. I'm sticking <laughs> with it. Yeah. I'm, I'm sticking. If I, if I have to die with that take, I'll, I'll go to the bottom of the ocean and die with it. Yeah, I'm sticking to stick with it. Look, like I said before, the Suns don't have dud games. And when they do, it is a, a national holiday. You need to mark it on like a calendar. There needs to be a parade in every other city except Phoenix when the Suns have a bad game. I don't believe that they're going to come out. Devin Booker's going to score 10. I don't believe that Jame, uh, not Jamison Crowder. Jay Crowder is going to just show up and go 50% from the free throw line, but he's going to, he's going to make six threes, four threes. That's, that's his thing on offense. He's a three and D player. Mikael Bridges, same, same ordeal. He's got to, he's got to really focus in on defense. I thought in game three, he was a little bit too flat footed, maybe playing straight up, maybe should have forced people left or right, especially with Giannis. I know that this saying has become a meme amongst a certain someone, but I'm going to say it. When are the Suns going to build the damn wall? I'm not even kidding. Like, can someone actually build the wall, please? I, I will provide funding. I will genuinely provide funding to build the wall to stop Giannis. But for some reason, it's, it's, it hasn't happened yet. But I'm going to stick with the Suns in game four. If I die with it, then so be it. Listen, I'm a sports fan. I love a good game seven. I want there to be a game seven. So I hope that nobody stops Giannis. And I hope that the Bucks win their second game at home. And I hope they go back and they have a battle and they push it to a game seven somehow. And I think, you know, uh, I really think that, uh, I think Quigley had a good point about Middleton and Holiday and how you never know what you're going to get from them. And I think that's been true about almost every player except for maybe Chris Paul and, and Giannis are the two exceptions where some players have just played out of their minds some nights and then other nights they've just been, like Thomas Ayala said, MIA, off at Lambeau Field, wherever, wherever they are. You know, you, you look at Middleton and Holiday in game two, they combined for just 28 points, 12 for 35 from the field. On Sunday, they combined 50% from the field, 39 points, and the big three in Milwaukee at 80. So if they're able to do that again, I see no reason why they can't stay at home and take game four. But – I think I'm going to stick with my Suns in seven. I do think the Suns are going to end up being too much for just Giannis to take over alone. And I, I'm not confident that Middleton and Holiday will be able to repeat that, that kind of performance we saw in game three, night in and night out. But I do want there to be game seven. So I'm going to say that the Bucks win game four. Moving on, we've talked a lot about finals. That's, that's pretty much all we've been talking about here on Pick and Pod. But we've got, a, we've got something else to talk about. And it's, it's very interesting because I want to talk about Team USA basketball. And normally when we talk about Team USA basketball, it's to just talk about how they're undefeated. They haven't lost in God knows how long. I, like, I, I really don't remember. And, and they're, it's just a blowout after blowout. I think they have – I think I saw somewhere uh, they have lost 11 games before Saturday in international play since NBA players began um, being on the American teams with the first dream team in 1992, they had gone 39 and 0 in their last three Olympic seasons, including pre-Olympic exhibitions. And that has not been the case this year. 
uh, a very shocking two. They did win today against Argentina, but before that, they suffered two losses back to back. They lost to Nigeria uh, first and then lost to Australia with more of a blowout second. So it caused a lot of attention. A lot of people saying, what the hell is going on with Team USA? How are they losing to these teams? Ayelo, I know, I, I know you have something to say about this, so I'm going to start with you. What's going on with Team USA? Should we be worried? Is, what's Greg Pop? Like, is this on Pop? Is this on the roster? Is, are they just lazy? Should we be worried because it's pre-exhibition games? Does it mean anything? What's your take? Well, I don't know much about climate change or any of that stuff, but I do know recycling is good for the environment. And today we're going to be recycling this meme. If anyone remembers my last appearance on one-on-one a couple episodes ago on Wednesday, I presented this meme to describe the Nets offense. This is the Team USA offense. This meme also applies. Okay. They've got Kevin Durant. They got, they got the one here. They don't have Harden or Kyrie, but... Greg Popovich hasn't won anything at the international level with coaching with Team USA. He had the, the blunder in 04 with that team. He contributed to 2002 where they were terrible. 2006 was Coach K. He wasn't really on the coaching staff at that point. But then he comes back in 2019. Now, the roster wasn't good, but they almost lost to Japan. Who does Japan have? Who, who, who do they have? Who, who does, who, who do half these people have? It's, it's not like there's, we're just sending, or not we, but USA is sending uh, like Obi Toppin or Kenny Hustle to the Olympics. No, they're sending Bradley Beal, Kevin Durant, Zach Levine. I saw Damian Lillard's on the roster, Bam Adebayo. We're sending our best players, our fr- some of these people, franchise players, and we're getting smoked by Nigeria, who whose best player is Precious Achua on the Miami Heat, who is Bam Adebayo's backup. First of all, I blame Jerry Colangelo for this, for this idea that Greg Popovich can coach at the international level, having not won anything. You know who would have been a better candidate? Tom Thibodeau. You know why Tom Thibodeau would have been better? Because he's got three gold medals. Count three gold medals to his name, and he's not even on the assistant coaching staff. I think that is lunacy to me, okay? Tom Thibodeau can coach a magic defense. He did it with the Knicks with significantly less talented people. You don't think he can yell at Durant going, JD, play defense. Bradley Beal, play defense. Like, you don't think he can do that? He, he would make them play defense the whole game. Who cares about scoring 95 zillion points? Let's make the other team score two points playing magic defense. I'm not even kidding. I don't know why Thibodeau didn't get the job. They wouldn't lose. They would have blown out Australia. They would have sent Nigeria back to Africa and they would have absolutely, I mean, they beat Argentina today, but Luca Vildoza knew Nick would have scored no points. No one would have scored over eight points. I'm not even kidding. So I blame Jerry for making the wrong coaching hire a couple of years ago. And the roster also, again, recycling this meme, this is what it's going to be. So don't be surprised if that happens. So, so quickly, Aiello's answer is to bring the head coach of the Knicks, how surprising and how shocking, and make him <laughs> the USA coach, and that'll solve all the problems. I'd love to hear your take on this same issue. I don't know, do you, do you think they should bring in Steve Nash, or is that, is that pushing it? <laughs> uh, so, no. <laughs> to respond to what Aiello said, 
Um, there's a reason they didn't pick Thib Tom Thibodeau to coach this, um, this USA basketball team. And, well, in part, it's because Greg Popovich has five rings in the NBA. It's just not much of a better uh, resume that you could build than that. Um, also, the rap on, on Thibodeau is that he can't coach stars. He coaches young players and does great with them and can't really coach them when they get older. And they, you know, have a bit more of an ego to them. Um, so that is malleable, I guess. But, um, I mean, Greg Popovich is coach stars. He's coach Hall of Famers. So I don't think it's crazy to give the job to Popovich. Now, I'm going to channel my, uh, my inner Aaron Rodgers here. I know you're going to love this I.O. Um, simple five-letter word. R-E-L-A-X. Everybody's just got to relax a bit. These are exhibition words. They don't matter. They don't, like, they don't matter. <laughs> so, like, we don't have to worry yet. Now, if they lose their third exhibition game, maybe, maybe you can call me. You say, is it time to worry? And maybe I'd be a little bit concerned. But until the games start to count, this team obviously is going to be ridiculous in the Olympics because they have nothing but superstars. If any team – we saw how the Nets relied on Kevin Durant to basically carry them to a game seven against the Bucks and almost beat them. And he can easily do that on a USA basketball team, except he doesn't need to because he's surrounded by absurd talent. He's got Jason Tatum. He's got Bradley Beal. These guys are phenomenal scorers. Damian Lillard. They don't, there's no reason to worry. Sure, you lost your first two warm-up games in Las Vegas. It doesn't matter because nothing matters yet. We're not at the Olympics. Everybody's got, just got to relax. Well, I'm, I'm going to have to agree with Aiello on one thing, not the Tom Thibodeau thing, but the fact that defense is super important. And I think that's really what's been lacking with this USA team. And you're right, Thomas, I, you know, Tom Thibodeau, he's good at coaching defenses, but I don't think he's the answer in this situation. And I also agree with Quigley in the fact that this is not at all the time to panic or to worry. This game means nothing. They did win. Uh, the game against Argentina by a lot like they like they should have and and let's look at this I mean Nigeria and Australia they've had weeks of practice they've also most of those players well not all of them but a lot of those players are used to the FIBA rules which you know the the NBA players still have to get used to and they've only practiced for two and a half days together and you can't just be ready to go like that at the drop of a hat one more before the end of the episode uh, and, and, you know, this is gonna, it's going to take some time for them to gel and they don't even have their entire lineup. They're going to get Booker they're, I think they're going to get holiday and Middleton too, if, if I'm correct. So they're not even at full strength. And I think they're going to pull it together when it matters. I, yes. And you got to look at that Australia team. The Australia team's lineup was pretty, pretty good. They had some good players on them. Joe Ingles, Patty Mills went off, you know, uh, who else? Uh, Matisse Thibel. So they had some guys. It wasn't like they were nobodies, but uh, I'm not worried about this USA team, but it is fun to see everyone freak out on Twitter and, and basically be anti-American for a little bit. Uh, but one more piece of news really quickly. I just want to shout, not shout out, but I want to mention because it, it did break right before we started recording the show. And that is that Kawhi Leonard just underwent surgery to repair his partially torn right ACL that he suffered during their second round game four win over the Jazz. Prayers out to him, first of all. I really hope his recovery is quick and healthy and effective and he comes back. Um, and his mental health also is okay during that time. I know injuries 
in, especially an injury like an ACL uh, can take a lot out of you mentally. So wishing nothing but the best for him, but this is a basketball show and we do, we do talk about basketball and the implications of things like injuries. And really quickly, I'll get both of your opinions on what this means, especially for somebody who's going into this free season, arguably as the top player in this free agent class. Is to Aiello, is this going to affect uh, teams and how they perceive him and whether or not you know, he uses that $36 million player option for the upcoming season? Uh, it's definitely difficult to measure because we know that Kawhi Leonard's kind of a wild card. A lot of people thought he was going to stay with Toronto. Some people said Lakers. I was actually a proponent of him going to the Celtics, but that didn't, of course, happen. He went to the Clippers. With that being said, uh, I kind of think he's going to keep the player option. He's going to definitely take it because we saw what happens when you give contracts to players that are injured with Porzingis being the prime example of that. We saw Oladipo get money, and he's just drastically jumped off the cliff pretty much. So I think Kawhi's going to take the player option. I, I, there's no doubt that he does, especially with how they finished this year. And then he's going to resign for more money when he's eligible to do that. So I think player option stays in L.A. and then resigns, and that's it. Quickly, anything different, or are we sticking with that? No, I got to say, I completely agree. I mean, he came to L.A. because he won a championship everywhere he's gone. But L.A. is his home, hasn't won a championship yet. I don't think that he wants to give up yet on that, especially if, you know, I mean, I don't think that's his mindset right now. But, you know, rather than go out and test a, a free agent market, that might be hesitant because you're coming back from an ACL injury, which is one of the hardest injuries to come back from. Um, I think that, you know, there's a lot more safety in him just going, staying with the, with the Clippers, taking that, taking them up on that option. So I think he'll stay. Um, and I think, you know, I don't know, it's impossible to uh, predict these things, but recently, you know, with modern medicine, like the, the way that, uh, that these teams, uh, Physical, like physical therapists and the way that these training staffs can really fix just like absolutely just like fix these players <laughs> as if they're like some sort of like broken machine it's fantastic and you know you've seen Kevin Durant came back from a terrible Achilles uh, tear um and we're gonna see I think you know hopefully uh Clay Thompson come back from a couple injuries a couple leg injuries uh and then he's kept him sidelined for two years so I don't think it's as much of a, you know, death sentence on his career as it might have been in the past. So I think that, you know, hopefully we'll be able to see him, you know, at his full ability or close to it, as we've seen, you know, Kevin Durant and his back bounce back year. And uh, no, I don't think he's going to leave LA. And I think that before he retires, I think the Clippers will see a championship uh, come home to the Staples Center not in purple and gold, but this time in red, white, and blue. I just wanted to add one thing. The other route he could take, considering that this free agency class coming up is, I, I'd say, pretty thin, with, with the exception of the top three, which is would be Kawhi, DeRozan, and then like Kyle Lowry's the third guy. What he could do is decline the player option and then get paid. Like anyone would pay for him, especially in this thin of a class. It's possible, but. I think he's. I think he'll stay. But if he does decide to do that, that wouldn't shock me. 
I think he's getting paid no matter where he goes, regardless of having this surgery. And he is an injured player. He hasn't played in more than 60 games in any of the last four seasons. But quickly, I think you're right. I think he. we've seen a lot of big players have big injuries and still come back and play like them, like sometimes better than they were before they were injured. And you look at his teammate, Paul George, who just signed a giant extension last offseason. You got to think that Kawhi is more than deserving of money far beyond whatever they're giving Paul George. So I think no matter what happens, he's going to collect his coin. Hopefully he comes back better than ever. But that's going to do it for this episode of Pick and Pot. Again, like I mentioned at the top of the show, by the time we are on the show next week, we may or may not know who the 2020-2021 NBA champion is. So can't wait to talk about that. Hopefully for the sake of good content, we have a game seven to talk about. But if not, we'll still see you next week. I'm Kelly Bright signing off with Thomas Aiello and Thomas Quigley. We'll see you next week. Pick and Pod is a production of WFUV Sports.